Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be continuing in chapter 17 this morning. I just want to thank uh, Rudy and Jean and Rob for leading us in wonderful worship this morning. And I want to thank you, all of you, for joining us here on Facebook Live. Uh, It's been going on now for six, seven weeks. It's just so good to see so many of you tuning in, not only from here in Squamish and part of our Rock Church family, but also the Sea to Sky region, Lower Mainland, and, and even across Canada. So it's great to have you with us this morning. I want to start off this morning uh, by telling you a story. Uh, it goes back to my childhood, actually. Um, it goes back to a point in my life where I was starting out in the work world, and I'd learned an awful lot of things, some really good things from my dad. Uh, I remember my dad getting up every morning faithfully, 6 o'clock in the morning, he would shave and shower, and and out the door at 6.45, he modeled every day of his life, getting up in the morning and getting ready and faithfully going to work. No matter what else was going on in his life, and he had lots going on in his life, uh, he taught me a lot about that. He taught me that, quite frankly, it was a good thing to have a job. (laughs) It was a good thing to work. Uh, It was a good use of your time. Uh, It was also a great way to make some money so that maybe one day you could provide for yourself and for a family, but also so that you could buy things that you wanted. And uh, of course, I wanted a set of drums, so I started working really early in my life. Uh, I'm also thankful for some really, really good jobs. Uh, I had a couple of good jobs where they were really uh, fundamental in teaching me a lot of things throughout my teen years before I actually embarked on a career. Uh, I remember really, quite frankly, uh, one job in particular early on. It was pretty much the, I think, second job I ever had after a paper route. And it was working for a man by the name of Mr. Rollis. That's how I still call him and still refer to him this day. And he owned a butcher shop, a meat market, in North Toronto, right on Young Street, which was called Rollis Meats. And it was like, it's so prototypical, amazing, classic butcher shop of the day. I mean, seriously, you walked in there and there were hardwood floors, there was sawdust thrown all over the floors, and that was, of course, to uh, make it so that people wouldn't slip because just the fact that there was so much meat being uh, carved and butchered every day in the place, there was fat in the air and it would get down. They had rows of, of, you know, KD and canned goods as well, and also some milk in the coolers, so you could, you know, not only come and get your meat uh, and things that you needed, but also you could uh, pick up a few other groceries that you might need. Now, my job was pretty simple. I only worked on Saturdays, and I was, frankly, the delivery boy. And so I had this bike souped up with this uh, metal frame carrier on the front. You know, I could carry a lot of meat, like several pounds of meat. It was great. And my job was simple. I would take the deliveries. I would deliver them to people's homes in the North Toronto area. And uh, the deal was, you know, it was a very low minimum wage uh, to be working there, but the deal was tips, right? That's what you were hoping for. And and sometimes tips were were there, and, and sometimes, quite frankly, they were not there. I remember uh, one particular day, I'm standing up near the front of the store, near the entrance to the store, and I'm looking across the street. And all of a sudden, from behind me, Mr. Rollis comes up and he puts his arm around my shoulder and he goes, so Glenn, what are you doing? (laughs) And, uh, you know, obviously I'm I'm not doing much, uh, but actually I'm looking across the street at another shop. It was a, a, a market, like a vegetable market, in which they also had deliveries. And there was a young guy there who I knew who was working in that store, and um, he was outside sweeping the sidewalk. You know, I think in my mind, I was probably thinking in that time, like, what's he doing, right? And so Mr. Rollis asked me, he said, "Uh, what are you doing? And so I took the opportunity 
to look at Mr. Wallace and say, oh, I was just looking at uh, Billy across the road there. He's somebody I know. And I was talking to him the other day, and he told me that he was making 50 cents an hour more than me. Okay? So in those days, it's a, it's a while ago, 50 cents an hour was, was significant. It was a, a lot of money. And I still remember that to this day because Mr. Rollis did this. With his arm still around me, he looked across the street at Billy and he says, do you know what, Glenn? And I think I just gave him some kind of a dumb stare, which was like, no, what? And his response was, if his boss doesn't give him a raise, I will. Ouch. <laughs> I mean, at that moment, I can't remember exactly, but I, I think I probably thought, I think I'm out of a job. Billy might be getting my job. But I'll tell you, what happened next was really one of the best lesson, lessons I ever learned in my life. Mr. Rawless decided to take me under his wing. And he taught me what good work looked like. He gave me a list of chores, uh, you know, to, to watch the sawdust and see, you know, when it's getting low and maybe throw some more out, to look at, at the shelves of, of things that were on the countertops and see, you know, um, what has been sold out and maybe I could refill them and, and uh, you know, open the door for, you know, people who are coming into the shop and leaving with their bags and stuff like that. In other words, I learned to keep myself busy. And I learned this keep myself busy even when no one is looking, even as a delivery boy. Now, I'm not going to say that I, I practiced or I learned all of those lessons perfectly at 15 years of age, but later, you know what, it, it really changed the way things worked for me. I got jobs and I was immediately, like, immediately doing whatever I could, showing up on time, maybe a bit early, staying uh, to the very end and maybe a little later, uh, looking around, what can I clean up? What can I straighten out? What can I, how can I help around the place? Rather than just stand around and wait for someone to tell me what to do. So the lessons that Mr. Rollis and a few others told me and taught me were pivotal to understanding how I was supposed to behave. I, you know, the thing is, I could have learned at a very young age some not-so-good lessons. I could have learned that, you know what, bosses aren't fair, employers aren't fair, the world's not fair, you know, the world owes me, even though I'm not really doing much to get to owe more. You understand? I could have learned that lesson. But instead, instead, I, I learned how to show up how to work hard for what I was getting paid and appreciate it, to go the extra mile. And, it, and listen, I, I began to learn that if my current boss, my current employer doesn't reward me or notice, somebody else will. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life. It really did. So in the end, we all have to work for someone, right? We all have to work for someone. We all have to serve someone. And so you know what that makes you and me. Yep. Servants. <laughs> let's read our text for today and let's learn this profound lesson that Jesus has for his disciples. It's found in Luke chapter 17, just four verses, verses 7 to 10. I will read them for you and then I'm going to pray one more time and then we'll dive in. Jesus asked his disciples this question. Will any one of you who has a servant Plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly 
and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we get to come together this morning, even in this way that we're doing this, uh, and worship you and sing beautiful songs about you, who you are and what you've done. Lord Jesus, thank you for this lesson, these lessons, plural. Thank you for spending the time, so much time with your disciples because you wanted them to understand truly who you are and what you are really like. And so I just thank you for that. Holy Spirit, um, I pray that you would just help me today uh, at this moment to be able to teach this, to open this up so that we will understand exactly what Jesus, what you had in mind at that time. So would you do that? Holy Spirit, we need your help. I need your help. And I pray your blessings upon us now in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So last week, uh, in the first six verses, we learned what it looks like to live the Christian life. It was really simply put by Jesus, right? We, we must be, we learned, we must be watchful. We must be responsible. And we must be faithful. But a key takeaway for us was that just as we had nothing to do with our own salvation uh, for saving ourselves, we did nothing to gain God's forgiveness, His acceptance, and His approval. We did absolutely nothing. Our Christian life also depends on Him, on Jesus living His life in us and through us. So yes, we we need to participate. (laughs) We need to participate by being watchful, by being responsible for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters, our friends, our family, and by being faithful. But the key was this. We need to do this more than anything else. Two things. We need to be devoted to Christ. And we need to be obedient. And that's the key that Jesus is now going to lean on. Obedience, then, is the key that he now wants to highlight for his disciples in just four verses. So here's a question for you today. Have you ever had to unlearn something? (laughs) Right? Have you ever had to unlearn something? You know, you'd been taught to do something a certain way or you'd learned to do something a certain way, a way that you thought was going to be right and was going to lead to, you know, you being better and you being more successful and happier and more joyful in your life. And then years later, often, often due to finding what you'd learned wasn't really working for you or for anybody for that matter, that yes, you learned it was in fact wrong. But the problem now then, or then becomes, you have to unlearn what you've learned. Because the reality is, at least for me, I don't know about you, the reality is the pattern, that the habit that we've got into for such a long time is really ingrained in us and it's hard to break. So that's exactly uh, what's been part of Jesus' ministry, it seems, for the past two and a half years. It, it, It seems like for the past three years, two and a half years, especially related to the religious Pharisees and the scribes and all of the religious people for that matter, 
As we've seen for chapters now, his, he's constantly turning everything upside down for them and trying to teach them new things, in fact, more than anything else, to unlearn what they've learned and what they've been teaching. And so for the Pharisees, this is really challenging. Despite all their appearances, their great outward displays of righteousness, which is actually self-righteousness, they've actually, Jesus is saying, got it all wrong. You need to unlearn these things. <coughs> Excuse me. Hence now his great concern for his disciples, who were all, at least the ones that are following him at this time, raised Jewish and had been taught by some of these men these things. So the hard part for them and most of us here today is we've got a lot of unlearning to do in our life and especially when it, when it comes to who God is and what he has done and why. I mean, you don't have to look too far back in Luke's gospel, uh, a couple of chapters, in fact, to the story of the prodigal. Remember that? The prodigal sons, the, the younger and the elder son, to see how wrong their thinking was. And, and their thinking both were wrong. The younger and the elder brother's thinking was wrong. And so we need to look at that. And, and their ways were two wrong views of God, in fact. With the younger son who, who demands his inheritance, remember that he, he came to his father and said, give me my inheritance now because I want to leave home. Thank you very much, but I want to go live my life my way. And so he does. He lives his life. He squanders it all on sinful living. He ends up broke down on the east side, downtown on the east side of Vancouver, right? Well, not quite. And he's thinking at that point in time, he's thinking, okay, at best what I can do is I can go back to my dad, go back to my father, apologize, and, and ask him to at least just give me a job like one of his hired hands. And, and, and his thinking is so that I can earn back my father's approval and acceptance. So he, he offers himself, he's thinking, I'm going to offer myself to be this hired servant. The elder son's wrong view of God is more in line with what the Pharisees have been thinking all along in the Gospels and what we've been reading about them. And, and theirs is basically this, when, when it's their turn to speak up and they see what's going on and the father bestowing all these blessings on the younger son who's blown everything, he's like, listen, I was the good son. I was, listen, the obedient one. And what have you ever done for me? You, you didn't throw a party for me and, and all of my friends because of how obedient I was. So the elder son is the type who thinks God isn't really generous, that he's holding back, and worse, they believe that their obedience puts God on the hook in some way. You know, it's like, okay, I'll do good, but you're going to owe me for working and being obedient. Wrong. Jesus has been trying to get that across to them for a while now. But that's what they'd learned, and that's, quite frankly, what they'd been teaching generations of Jewish boys and girls to believe. So in that parable, Jesus was te teaching them and us, frankly, to think differently about God. He is God in the flesh, and he wants them to think differently about him and about God. And so if you remember, before the younger brother, the wayward brother, can even get his lame <laughs> apology and, and his lame offer out of his mouth, before it even is put out there, his father's like calling the servants to start the party up. And so we see a great lesson there. We see that God is 
merciful and loving and, yes, extremely generous even when we don't deserve it. So the main question Jesus wants us to learn, or lesson I should say Jesus wants us to learn and them in that day from today's text is that their view of God that they'd learned from their elders, the Pharisees and the scribes, was not only wrong, but it will certainly lead to giving them the completely wrong idea of what obedience in the Christian life looks like. From what they'd learned, their attitude was pretty simple, and it can lead to going one of two ways. Either like this, either I'll do this, and I'll do this, and maybe a little bit of this, then God has to do this for me. You know, like I will, I'll attend church on Sundays or I'll watch Facebook Live and, you know, check the box. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll do daily devotions. I'll read my Bible, you know, a few times a week. Check. I'll tip in the offering jar or give online a little bit, you know, check. I'll pray a little bit once in a while for God's will in my life and for some other people. Um, check the blocks. The problem with that can be is we end up thinking that we now have put God on the hook, that, that God somehow owes us. God now is needing to bless us. So we look for the blessing. The question then becomes, what happens when hardship, when suffering, when pain and even loss comes into our lives? If that's been our view of God, that I'm doing these things to get blessings from God, what happens when those things happen to our view of who God is and how much He loves us? Or it could be like this, well, well, listen, I know God is good and, and all that, since, um, he, he's, but since He's not blessing me, and, and I haven't been seeing any blessings for some time now, maybe what I got to do is I got I, I to work harder at, at being more obedient. I need to do all these things that we've just listed more. Or I got to find some other things that I need to do, and I need to pray in order to get God's approval. And basically, again, Jesus is saying, no, that's wrong too. So I need you to hear me today, Jesus says, because... I want you to unlearn that. I want you to learn the truth. And so think about it. Uh, I thought about it this week. Most of us, I think, have been raised in such a way that we've got to, even, even in our, our, our lives, let alone biblically speaking, we've got a really, well, not a great relationship with the idea of obedience, right? I mean, we're taught when we're very, very little that we're supposed to what? Obey our parents, you know? Obey our teachers, now, even though I'm, you're not here with me right now, I can hear over the Facebook live feed some of you going, amen, preacher, preach it, right? Since you're home with your kids, I get that. But that's what we're taught. We're taught you need to obey. You need to obey. And, of course, we're then told, told that we need to obey the law, the police, those in, in authority over us. It's this thing where it's obey, obey, or punishment, right? There's a consequence for not obeying, and the punishment is what? We would expect. I remember early on when I was a believer um, and I was trying to get some of these concepts in my, in my mind, I would go to church and, and uh, there was this one song, you probably have all heard this song, right? And they would sing it and, and at first, it, I got it because again, my background, I don't know about you guys, you're probably holier than I am, but it's a song called Trust and Obey. Has anyone ever heard that song? It's, it's, it's actually a lovely song. The lyrics, uh, the verses are great, so is the chorus. 
But I just remember being there sometimes in church, and there was especially these older folks who were very loving, I understand, but they'd be like sitting there and they'd be going, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey, all the while looking at me and smiling, right? I ended up really loving that song, but I think most of us have a really difficult and, and maybe warped understanding of what obedience really means. So one last thing we need to understand is that before we look at this text in depth and briefly, is that the view the Pharisees had of God and what he was like in obedience actually resulted in what we've seen in their behavior throughout Luke. It, it, it resulted in the way they lived their lives, which was wrong. Eventually, their wrong view led them to believe two things. Either one, you were, you were healthy, you were rich, I was rich, they were rich and healthy. Uh, if you had lots of faithful children and you had homes and livestock, you were, you were being blessed by God. That was a sign that you were being blessed by God for your obedience. That's what they believed. But they also believed this. They also believed if you were poor... If you were sick or you were lame or you were blind, disfigured, or even from the wrong side of town, that that actually clearly meant that you had sin in your life and God was punishing you by withholding his blessings. This was their view, and it was wrong. There's a preacher out there. Um, he, I think he was from New York City. Uh, he said this, and it's a great synopsis of what we've been looking at so far. He said this, Religion says, If I obey, then God will love and accept me. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, I am loved and accepted. Therefore, I wish to obey. It's about a change of heart toward both who God is and who we are. So, Jesus with his disciples and with you and I this morning, wants to correct this wrong view of God related to blessings and obedience. And he wants to do that by helping his disciples to unlearn this wrong view. He teaches this in three short rhetorical questions that they all would have had ready and quick answers to, again, because of how they had been taught, right? And so why? Well, again, because they had been taught this way. And so now it's time to unlearn and this is going to go by rather quickly, so we need to stay focused to the end here this morning, okay? So let's look at the first verse, and we'll put it on screen here for you, where Jesus asks the first rhetorical question. He asks, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Well, first let me give you to the, the answer that would have been ready on their lips. No. Absolutely not. That word, by the way, uh, for servant there in the Greek is the word doulos, which is a, a unique word used here specifically. It literally means a bond servant or a slave. So in their minds, the answer, listen, was because there's this known hierarchy in their world and in their mindset based on what they'd been taught between a servant who knows his place or her place and the master, the owner, the boss. So simply the answer was no. 
Next question. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? And the answer, again, is like, I think some of them might be going like, is this a trick question? Because the answer is, of course, yes. Yes. They all knew the rules and the way things went between a slave, a servant, and his master. The servants were to come in from the field all smelly and dirty, and they were to go clean themselves up and dress up properly, make food for their master, serve their master, wait for their master to enjoy himself, right? And, and then it would be their turn to eat. So yes. Now watch this. Jesus then says or asks, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Oh boy. This is such a good question, right? So the third and final rhetorical question is this question. And so what do you think the answer is to this question. Obviously, he's a kind master, and, and, and so are you, so the, the probably he's going to say thank you, right, to the servant. Well, again, the answer actually is no. And, and, and not so much because no master in that culture was ever kind enough to say thank you, but the real answer is, and this, friends, is the great lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples in that day, because the likelihood is they would never hear thank you from their master. He's teaching them here and to you and I here today about what obedience actually looks like, right? There are at least, I think, three lessons that we can learn from these three rhetorical questions. First, and, and they would have been okay with um, this, but some of us today might not find this too easy to take. The master doesn't need to say thank you just because the servant did what he was supposed to do. I mean, that's, that's the logic that even Jesus is trying to get across. You, you have a job to do. You, you have a, I have commanded you to do some things. And the Pharisees and the scribes all knew that, and so there was a, a simple requirement to do these jobs, and no thank you was required for just simply doing what you were commanded to do. That's the job. What he's been paid to do, the servant was paid to do these things, to go into the field, do the work, to come in, clean up, prepare the meal for his master, serve his master, and then later be benefit from the fact that there was food left over and you would have room and board. And so that was the job. I mean, it may have been polite to thank him, but the lesson here is no. The lesson here is, and I like this, there's no participation award, right, for just showing up and doing your job. You know, honestly, I can't tell you how many times in my life where I've talked to someone and, and a friend or a, a colleague at work, for example, or, or I've been mentoring or discipling uh, a young man, and, and they, have, they have bemoaned the fact that they've been working at this job for a year now, 18 months, and they've been doing the work, and, and they've been doing a pretty good job, they've been doing everything they've been asked for, but, you know, like, they, no one's ever thanked them, and, and they've, they've not gotten a promotion, they're still doing the same old job, and they're certainly not getting a raise and getting any more money, but, boy, you know, I've actually seen some people who, who came to work here after I started here, and they got a raise already, and they've got a promotion above myself. Oftentimes when I've been in that situation, 
I'll tell you what I've done. I tell them my Mr. Rollis story. <laughs> That's what I tell them. And sometimes some people actually get it and listen. Secondly, this lesson is for the Pharisee-minded, right? And Jesus was concerned that, that either the, the disciples would not unlearn this and fall back into this line in thinking, or they would not learn how it means, what it means to really be obedient in the way that God is desiring them to be. So the lesson here is proof that their thinking about God is all wrong. The, the servant in the story doesn't end up putting his master on the hook to bless him, does he? We don't read that. We, we don't read that the, the, the servant, you know, puts or expects some extra blessing from his master. No, we don't read that at all. He doesn't. He does his job, and then he gets what he should get, his turn to eat and relax at the table. So there's no change of position or relationship. This is simply put what obedience looks like. It was their life. This was obedience. A third lesson is a good one for you and I here today, and it's not, it not only... And it is that it not only does our obedience, listen, or what we do not put God on the hook, it's also not how God works when it comes to blessing us. His blessing of us is not based on our performance or how hard we work. It's not, it's not this. It's not, yes, servant, you do your job, what you're supposed to do, and now I'm, I'm going to let you continue to eat and stay living on my property. There's no promise of that even, right? That's the wrong way of thinking, which they had been taught as children, was that it was all about what you do that results in God's acceptance, approval, and blessings, additional blessings. So they needed to completely unlearn that, and instead they needed to learn who God truly is. And as Jesus has already done, but certainly will in the next few months, he will show them just how, he's going to show them, and this is beautiful, just how merciful and generous God is and that it's not, not based at all on what they have done or even not done, but completely and totally by grace and by the grace of God. Jesus finishes with these words. So, you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So, so Jesus has, he's not finished teaching them lessons today. He's going to continue to teach them lessons. There are many more lessons to come. But his concluding words here are better heard and understood to you and I today, I think, than they were for them. And why is that? Well, again, we're this side of the cross, right? We, we know what Jesus has done for us and on our behalf. We know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we know about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we know all of the unfolding of these lessons in this story. At least we should. So Jesus concludes what he started with last week about how to live the Christian life with a, with a simple lesson on what obedience actually looks like. And so for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, it looks like serving God with 
humility, and gratitude for all that he has done, not for our performance. So it's important you don't take the words here, unworthy servant, the wrong way. You need to remember, we need to remember, that Jesus has already told them that he no longer sees them, and he will say this again, I no longer see you as servants, but as friends. He also has said a few times, I didn't come to serve, to be served, pardon me, but to serve. And so we shouldn't see these words in the wrong light. Maybe read that verse again. Look at that verse a little longer. Jesus says this, doesn't he? When you have done all that I have commanded of you. In other words, when you have finished the race of the Christian life, and you are with Jesus in your eternal home and reward, you will look back and say, I, on, I, on, I only did what I should have done. I didn't do any more than I should have done. And I certainly don't deserve all of this that he has provided for me and given to me that I see now. And so listen, he's already given them a hint of that. If you go back into Luke, earlier in Luke's gospel, he taught them then that all of these things were wrong. So again, it's about unlearning. He needs to continue to teach them and you and I. Back in Luke chapter 12, he instructs them to be ready. Remember that? He told them the story about the master who's gone off to a wedding feast, and then he tells them they need to be ready for when the master, he, Jesus, returns. He tells them to stay dressed and keep their lamps burning so that when their master comes back from the wedding feast and knocks at the door, they'll be ready. For what? What are they to be ready for? Well, not to serve their master. But look at this, what Jesus says. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And truly I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service, have them recline at table, and he will come and he will serve them. Hmm. Feeling just a little unworthy now at this point? Well, it gets better. In those verses, Jesus is actually making them and you and I a promise. He's going to come again. And, and this is who God is and exactly what God is like. And the promise is revealed to us in Revelation chapter 19 when the Apostle Paul is, uh, John, pardon me, is, is taken up into heaven and shown how things will end when Jesus comes again. And it's revealed to him. And one of the things that he sees is upon the return of Christ, he sees that the bride of Christ, which is the church, gets to come to a marriage feast with their husband, who is Jesus Christ. And we read in Revelation 19 that those who have trusted and been obedient to Christ will be clothed in fine linen, the finest of linen. And as they come to the feast, John is instructed to write these words. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited 
to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I'll tell you what, friends. On that day, when we're all sitting at that feast, and we're looking around at everything that Jesus has prepared for us, and we see Jesus himself preparing to serve us, I am relatively certain that everyone seated at that table will say, I am not worthy. I am an unworthy servant. I have only done what was my duty. Pray with me, would you?